This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey folks, uh, welcome to the first podcast of the Inclusive Collective. My name is Nadia Butt and I'm lucky to be co-hosting with my friend and colleague, Rob Hadley. Hi, Rob. Hi, Nadia. So excited to be with you. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here with me. Um, let's share what we're doing here today. So the Inclusive Collective um, is a conversation with and for those who are seeking to understand the complexities around the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've been hearing this a lot recently within the business world. Um, and so we are coming together to celebrate the essence of a particular industry and share the perspectives of those who are advocating for change. And so our goals are really to push the inclusion conversation forward. Um, and we're going to do this by bringing in a broad audience of practitioners, um, thought leaders, enthusiasts, you know, to really share their perspectives of how they strive to implement inclusive workplaces within their um, organizations and really like what that looks like from an um, organizational culture perspective and even just everyday um, interactions with people. And we're going to do it uh, in our own little way, aren't we, Nadia? Uh, we will. And um, the first season is really going to be tailored around um, the startup world and venture capital. And I'm really excited to talk to the folks that we're going to be featuring who we have a great lineup of founders, investors, and practitioners, Absolutely. Um, change ambassadors. So I'm really excited to get a better understanding of some of the challenges and some of the um, successes that they have come across along their journey. So um, Rob, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with you and our prior company. We've worked on projects where, you know, we've strategized and and analyzed and implemented. And I've been really lucky to observe how you interact with people. Um, you're you've always led with humility and treated people kindly and and with respect. And, you know, over the last year or so, we've been discussing like our own personal interactions and experiences really like as it pertains to inclusion. And I really admire the deep reflection um, and listening that you have done and, you know, been sharing with me just aspects around um, bringing more awareness to, you know, your own privilege. You've been just a vocal ally and I really personally appreciate that. Um, so, you know, this is one of the reasons why I tagged you to come on board this podcast journey with me. 
Um, so why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, that's all so nice of you to say, Nadia. I, You're welcome. <laughs> I wasn't expecting any of that. So it's really nice of you to say. I'm always just happy if people that I've worked with previously will just still talk to me. And so you actually want to work on something with me. And that's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about how I got involved in this work. Um, mm -hmm. When people ask me, okay, you're white, straight, cisgendered, able-bodied, presenting person, you know, what are the things that draw you into this work? Why are you passionate about DE&I? And there's a long list of those. I'm going to touch on just a couple of things right now because we, uh, you know, as uh, over the course of the podcast, I'm sure we'll get into a lot of the different things that are motivating to me. But, sure. you know, first, you know, I think the biggest thing over the last 20 years is the relationship that I have with my wife, right? So we've been together for a long time. She comes from a family that immigrated to the U.S. early in the 1990s. And when I met her, she was working as a nurse. But her real ambition was to be a doctor. She wanted to be a physician and she had all these people telling her that she couldn't do it, right? So I got to see mm -hmm. up close the struggles that she had, uh, that she went through the barriers that were put in front of her as a woman, as an immigrant, and as a person of color or from a minoritized community mm -hmm. uh, in that field of medicine, which you can imagine is especially challenging, right? So, right. so, be, so then, you know, and it's super competitive in the United States as well. Super competitive. She comes from a background that's, you know, really underrepresented in medicine, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, and then just being part of her family for 20 years, I've met so many people, uh, not just in her family, but then that entire community. And I've heard their stories and, and seen all the obstacles that they've had to overcome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that really gives you a great deal of perspective on the, on the privilege that I have. And, uh, you know, so that's been very important for me, those relationships. And so, uh, and then in my own professional experience, the major event that drew me into this was in, um, in 2017, I was working for a large U.S. financial services firm in a group called People Analytics. And I was mm -hmm. asked to look into some data around black executive turnover and I think that I just really didn't expect to find much in terms of interesting data there. I, I didn't think mm -hmm. it was going to find any real problems. And what that project turned into was a three to four year rabbit hole for me, where we did one of the wow. deepest analytical dives into representation, into differences in sentiment between the races and genders about the inclusiveness of that environment and mm -hmm. into the inequities uh, in people processes. You know, So probably the deepest dive of any Fortune 500 company at that time. And mm -hmm. in that work, you know, we learned a lot of things that I think ranged from interesting to uh, disappointing to startling to things that would you know out and out enrage people if they ha had found these things out. But through the use of that data, we were able to uncover some problems and illuminate some of those issues in our own organization, in our own environment. And at the time, I wondered, you know, with all the deep dives that we were doing, all the money that we were spending, we had a really talented team. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if, you know, thinking about all the investments that we were putting in. And thinking about companies that weren't putting those investments in and weren't taking it as seriously, it was we were. I wonder what you'd find in those organizations, right? Yeah. Um, and the amount of money that was spent, like not all the organizations out there have the millions of dollars to spend on efforts like this. And the company you're working for had the talent, the resources, the money. Um, and I can imagine, like you said, three to four years it took. That's a really long time to uncover, you know, a piece of kind of data. Um, to really start to implement something. Yeah, yeah. No, you hit it on the head. Is uh, Organizations with that much talent and resources to be able to pour into looking at something like this where most organizations don't. And if they yeah. did, they probably weren't focused on it at that time, right? right. So then right. fast forward, we hit 2020. 
right? Mm-hmm. We have the, the killing of George Floyd and a couple of things happen, right? right? So one, yeah. we started to hear about these inequities in the corporate world. And having done all that deep research, I had the same reaction that you probably had or any other person from a minoritized background or woman. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's basically like, hey, no shit, right? Like that's that's mm-hmm. obvious, right? Those are things that yeah. obviously- It's happened. been happening, it's right. It's been happening, <laughs> everyone knows about it. Um, that's not from a background of privilege. So two, the second thing that happened is after that, all these companies made you know these very serious pronouncements that we're going to do better, uh, that we're really going to mm-hmm. change. And having worked in large corporations and organiza- organizational change uh, initiatives mm. and, and transformation work, uh, I'm very skeptical about organization, uh, big corporations changing. Um, yeah. you know, it I takes time and it's, cer- it's hard work. Even in the most well-intentioned and even the smallest change you and I know can be, you know, really, really difficult for people. Um, and so when you talk about making changes around uh, policies, processes, procedures related to race, gender, sexual orientation, age, ableist, and other norms, that's incredibly hard work. And it just right. and it's going to take a lot of time. And if you're not committed to it and focused on it and, and throwing uh, the weight of the entire organization against it, then you're not going to be able to make that change and sustain it long term. So that's the work that I focus on. That's why I started my own uh, uh, firm to do strategy and analytics around DEI to help uh, organizations make de- better decisions in the long that's term. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, and it's so interesting, Rob, too, because. The change, you know, the, of course, we know change is really hard, especially especially in organizations. And I think you kind of said something that I think it's important as we, you know, continue our, um, with season one is we look at diversity and inclusion as like a separate entity within the organization when really shouldn't it be embedded within like the norms and the practices and the behaviors of, of or like leaders and teams and people. And I feel like the more we continue to separate it, the more it is separated. And so it's just really interesting. Um, you know, we've done this work kind of through organizational effectiveness, through change management, lean initiatives, and um, these efforts fail. And um, I hope it doesn't. I have high hopes, but it is um, interesting to see kind of these organizations go through this challenge and struggle right now. Yeah. And you're starting to see it shift in in, in the way that you'd hope to, to see it. There are a lot more leader-led initiatives. And uh, I think that we're on the right track there. But like I said, it has to be it has to be the main focus or a main focus of the organization has to be completely embedded in the way that an organization is is working uh, and managing and leading. And if it's not, then it will have a hard time sustaining. So, but uh, let's so let's talk about you, right? Let's let's Ooh, say some okay. nice things about you. Let's <laughs> let's introduce uh, Nadia to our audience, right? And so, you know, the, you said a bunch of nice things. A lot of these things are, are very calm between the two of us, right? So we work together. But the, one of the, my favorite things about you, you know, other than the oh. fact that you have these, you know, lived experiences that I can't necessarily uh, replicate, and I can't necessarily bring to this discussion, right, as uh, a, what we would call a woman of color, or what you would call a member of the emerging uh, majority. Global right? majority. Emerging global <laughs> I'm a majority. person of the global majority community. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so like, I think that, you know, why our collaboration will work, you know, in terms of our skill set and our expertise, I mean, you have a real learning development background and that perspective of how can we teach people 
these concepts? How can we give them tools to use and how do we change their behaviors or increase their competency around diversity, equity, and inclusion? And I've seen you personally work with audiences, connect with audiences, and and they love you and they adore you, uh, <laughs> and they and, and everyone loves working with you. And um, so I think you'll be a great guide for our listeners on this journey, uh, and especially as we bring on these guests. Uh, you know, in the, in the case of season one, founders, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists from various backgrounds, uh, I think you'll just be a great person to uh, connect with with these folks. And I'm excited to, to see you interact with them. And as I've said, you'll well, be I everyone's, you'll be everyone's favorite. And Aww, that's um, sweet. <laughs> there'll be a lot of, why is he here? No, they'll love guests? us just the same. But that's okay. That's okay. No, I'm used to that's... it. But, but please tell us about yourself now. Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So, you know, my background is that I have worked in the organizational development space uh, for 18 years now. Yikes. I say 18, it's close to 20. So that's, that's a long time for me um, with a, you know, with a focus on leadership development, like you had said, learning development. And so um, I've spent most of the time with two Fortune 500 companies where I worked in um, the corporate learning development space. Uh, I've worked with like leaders and teams on change management initiatives, um, organizational effectiveness programs and lean methodology. And I was, you know, responsible for really incorporating or embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion practices and behaviors across the leadership and professional development curriculum. I'm currently the founder and principal consultant at NAS Consulting, um, where, you know, we provide global coaching and solutions and strategy to, to leaders and teams. Nice. Most recently, I have consulted for like leaders and stakeholders on creating a strategic kind of um, diversity and inclusion vision that's aligned to their organization's mission and goals and help them guide through on how to like operationalize that. And so that means a lot of, you know, creating implementation plans or communication plans. I do a lot of trainings around that workshops um, as it relates to coaching and inclusion in the workplace. So you do it all. Um, you just do it all. I, I don't do it all. I definitely yeah. uh, do a lot, but I, I I don't do it all. And you've done this work from, um, you know, this work prospectively through like a change management um, lens at, at prior companies. And, you know, it's hard work, yet really rewarding work. We get to see people change behaviors, really listen, share stories and so forth. But yeah, so my passion around diversity and inclusion really stems from a few things. Um, so I identify as a female, Pakistani-American, Muslim, um, child of immigrants. And, you know, throughout my life, I have definitely experienced both, um, you know, covert and overt discrimination and microaggressions. In the workplace, though, I, you know, I also have experienced, you know, and observed microaggressions or micro workplace discrimination. And um, I've observed colleagues struggle with inclusive behaviors. And this really drove me to become more passionate um, about transforming workplace culture. So throughout my career, I really wanted to focus on how to help leaders and, and you know, people and peers think about what uh, an inclusion, inclusive culture is, what it looks like, how it feels, um, how people's behaviors impact people, what, you know, the intention is around um, some behaviors. So my goal is really to support and de uh, developing more inclusive behaviors as well. When I think back to like the past of like, you know, dig deep about like, why, why am I so passionate about this work? Where did it really like come from? And I'll tell you, like when 9-11 happened, I was in college and I remember 
uh, one of my professors telling me not to share that I was a Muslim in my interviews. Mm. And when I was going for like job interviews and I, um, you know, when I did enter the workforce, uh, the workplace at the time, uh, my first, my first job out of college, I wasn't even sharing that I was Pakistani or Muslim with my colleagues mm. because there was such a, there was a really strong anti-Muslim sentiment out there, especially in the United States. I think people have, I think people today have a hard time remembering just how anti-Muslim the United States was, was at that time, right? Yeah, especially after 9-11. And yeah. so, you know, I was hesitant to share um, that I was Pakistani or Muslim out of fear. And so as I got closer, like certain colleagues and certain managers, I definitely like was able to share who I was. I, I wasn't really nervous about hiding who I was. You know, as I joined teams uh, in the workplace, like as I my career kind of developed and I was becoming um, part of different teams and more diverse teams, um, I felt more valued and that in turn kind of helped me bring my authentic self, my authentic self to work. So I became a little bit more vocal around like, oh, you know, this is who I am. This is what I celebrate. These are some of my traditions and customs because people would ask. And so it was like, you know, it was great to, to share. And then as soon as that happened, the Muslim ban <laughs> happened in, in 2017. And, um, you know, all of this like rhetoric around Islamophobia came back and the stereotypes about being brown or being an immigrant or a child of immigrant just really started to resurface and like let's face it you know it was already there um mm -hmm. so it wasn't necessarily it, it was resurfacing but the impacts were kind of already still there so i just started taking note about and observing really like how people were interacting with one another how leaders were interacting how colleagues were treating each other and i was just curious how organizations were gonna you know, create inclusive cultures if they hadn't already or if there it wasn't a focus. This drove me into furthering my education. So mm -hmm. as you know, I'm um, currently a doctoral candidate and my current research right now is focused on identity and belonging in the workplace, but particularly the, the Muslim experience, the American Muslim experience. Yes, um, yes. And when do we get to call you Dr. Nadia? Oh my gosh, right. it's going to be at least another year from now. Um <laughs> Because <laughs> like, I got to write that dissertation. Can, we, can so. I start on this podcast? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Is there not some yet. ethical rule that you have to wait? No, not yet. Don't call me right. Dr. Butt. The only doctor in our family is my dad. So not yet. <laughs> um, okay, fair enough. But, you know, then the events of 2020 happened. So what's so interesting is like we found ourselves in, you know, the global pandemic. The workforce shifted in terms of, you know, remote work or hybrid work. And then George Floyd was killed. And then we had the Black Lives Matter protests where, you know, they were happening. And then then we have like the great resignation happen. And boom, the idea of a traditional workplace like shifted. Right. So like culture shifted and norms shifted and people became remote in, in terms of how they worked. And, you know, then we have like a global concern where like organizations and um, companies are global. So there's an international factor. Mm. And so the focus on diversity and inclusion efforts focused, uh, became focused. And, and, you know, and then I think about like even how organizations now are incorporating wellness because of like the pandemic fatigue or other situations around wellness and, and sustainability efforts. And so I just found myself thinking like, how, how can I take in everything that I've that I've learned or experienced or observed and help leaders and teams be better 
and so, you know, how can I contribute to like advocate for social justice within the workplace? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, well, why not a a podcast? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) That should do it. So here we are. You know, when we, when we started discussing this idea, I anchored you, I tapped on you to really help me kind of Uh, brainstorm what this could look like. And the reason why, if you recall, is earlier last year, I was asked to speak at a webinar for the Mars organization. And they have a pet care group, particularly their accelerator program for their aspiring like startup groups and founders to do like a foundational um, DE&I, you know, kind of like a awareness building for them for, for that group. And so what I realized in the conversations with like many of these founders um, and co-founders was that they had not only great questions and that they were curious, but they really wanted like more support in how to build inclusive teams. And I, I talked to you about this and I was like, I wondered just like, why, why were they struggling with like building these inclusive teams or what was like their, their struggles. And I, I did ask them a lot, but you and I started prompting these questions and then you joined me in the next round of this group conversation with this company And, you know, our takeaways were that within the startup world, there's not a lot of resources or funds or even sometimes time or talent to really help build that inclusive culture. And so even though the intention might be there, we noticed that maybe there wasn't a lot of other kind of resources available or tools available for these folks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I don't, yeah, I don't think that you say the intention might be there. I think that what we've seen is that it really is there, right? I mean, if you think about, uh, in uh, we're talking about startups, people are trying to build companies. They obviously want to build long lasting, durable companies that, uh, you know, create value and, and build value for the future. And so part of that is building a culture that can sustain uh, and, and innovate. And so therefore, there's a lot of questions and a lot of interest from, from uh, startup founders uh, and investors about investors. DEI. Yep. Absolutely. Nadia, as, as we dive into our series, and if you didn't catch it, we're going to start our first season working on uh, the startups and the venture capital industry. Let's get a little bit of perspective on what startup means and why they're so important to the U.S. economy. You know, they're, they're super important in terms of uh, job and wealth creation in the United States. Uh, we'll look at the gaps that exist in representation in the U.S. startup and VC industry and talk about why giving founders and investors some guideposts to follow is so important and can be so impactful uh, for our economy, right? So first, let's be very clear, right? You know this. We know that when we're talking about startups, we're not talking about what is commonly referred to as small business, right? So mm. someone wants to Ooh, start what's a single the difference? Taco- yeah. <laughs> so someone <laughs> wants to start a single taco truck, right? Yeah. And I think you and I are on the same page that the world can never have too many. Love mm. taco, right? taco Tuesday. <laughs> that 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 but that's not the startup that we're focusing on. We're talking about startup in the 
couple of people in their garage or dorm room or basement or whatever working to solve a problem Mm-hmm. that they believe can become a big business, right? So that sense of the term, the definition I like most there is that uh, startup is an idea in search of a scalable business model, Okay. right? And so so the largest companies in our, in our modern world come from this universe, Facebook, I'm sorry, uh, Meta. Meta. The, uh, Meta, <laughs> yeah. the Microsoft, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, all of them started with a founder or co-founders. They innovated, they solved a problem, they scaled, they became the world-dominating, soul-crushing, antitrust-violating behemoths that we know them as today, right? Mm. So, And these companies are incredibly important, right? So it's estimated that although, a couple facts for you here, right? So mm. although the annual venture investment uh, is something like just 0.2% of GDP, venture back firms produce over 20% of GDP. And they have job growth rates eight times the rate of non-venture backed private companies. Oh, and wow. and those will continue and are accelerating. In 2020, there was, so get this, right? In 2020, there were 10,862 US companies receiving venture funding of $164 billion. That was a record at the time. Then in 2021, that number doubled to $330 billion, mm-hmm. right? And so it, in a lot of ways, the venture capital sector is really the last place uh, of exceptionalism in the American economy. It's enormously important and you know, super vital to, to everything that happens in this country. And you would think, right, that this energetic, exciting industry fueled by you know, exceptional young talent, visionary leaders thriving in our great coastal cities like San Francisco. Yeah, people who are like super innovative, right? Have that like mindset to be super innovative. Super innovative. They probably pride themselves as being super progressive. They live in big cities, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're thought leaders, right? They're always one step ahead of the game. That's how they pride themselves. So you'd think that they must be really good at these issues, right? Mm -hmm. Have a stellar track record in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. You but think they, that. You would think that, do but do they? Well, it's, <laughs> it's not that I don't think that they don't have a track record. I think through the questions and just through the conversations, it's like that, again, some people, I think there's intentions, solid intentions to want to have these inclusive workforces, work teams um, and cultures, but the resources are not available. And then I think it's not on some people's radar. I don't think that's people think about it. Maybe, maybe it's like a, a, a a thought that like, yes, I would like to do this, but the implementation of it is hard. And, you know, that reminds me too, like, I don't even know if people are aligned on, on, on verbiage, right? So like when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, like, do people even know, is there like a, there's not an aligned kind of understanding. I think a lot of people use language in terms in very different ways because it's, it's, it's defined in many different ways. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Well, well, how would you how would you define it? Yeah, I mean, so diversity is pretty simple. It's just the the presence of differences. So um, there's many dimensions of diversity. I'm not going to go into like a full on training right now. I don't think anybody wants to have one of my like you know diversity and and inclusion foundation training in this podcast. But if you do, you can contact me at NAS Consulting. Um, but the presence of differences is really, so when you think about the dimensions of diversity, there's racial differences, there's gender differences, there's LGBTQ differences, there, there's differences in education, socioeconomic status. So there's like, there's a plethora of differences. And in the United States right now, we are focused on, on, on mostly gender and race. I think there's definitely focuses on um, you know, the disability community on the community um, of LGBTQ, um, but that's not the case in every organization. And so 
that is diversity. Then you have inclusion, which where people who are marginalized or have marginalized identities, they feel that they belong or they feel like they are valued, um, that they're relied upon, that they're empowered, right? So um, that, that's the definition of inclusion. Then there's some other terms that, that are being kind of used right now, and there's equity. So equity is ensuring that everyone has access to the same opportunities and resources that are available. Yep, yep. Um, and sometimes they're not available and that's accessibility. So you um, think of accessibility as like the design of products or services or even environments where people have open opportunities, where people can have open opportunities to access like the different products and services that might be available to them and of people who have different backgrounds. And that then was, this, uh, yeah, there's one. No, it was just yeah. one more. <laughs> one more. One more. There's one okay. more term, and it's this term of belonging. And people are like, well, what's the difference between belonging and inclusion? Um, like, could could you describe that? Like, do you between belong? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Belonging to me is like that. It is the outcome of all those things, right? So, like the like the outcome of an inclusive environment is that people feel like they belong, uh, that they're part of something bigger. Uh, and that they're that, that they're valued, and you know, I, I think of belonging as almost like the the ultimate outcome of a great mix of all those other key exactly. elements. Exactly, belonging is like this really like sense of self, and so you might have an organization that is you know diverse in the sense of like you have representation. You might include me in a meeting, so like you might hire me, and then you might decide that I belong in this meeting, and that's inclusion, but. I might not actually feel like I belong there. That's a sense of self. And so you're right. The outcome is to like have people feel like they belong. So how do you foster these safe, like psychologically safe, you know, Amy Edmondson talks a lot about this from Harvard, these psycho psychologically safe and, you know, foster environments that are, that are inclusive, that provide empowerment and, and so on and so forth. Um, and that's really hard to do, I think, in general at organizations, and then even probably more harder to do in the startup world because it takes it takes time, it takes talent, it takes resources, and it takes a really lot of understanding. Well, that was so that was perfect and amazing, and and no, uh, oh, you're and setting that up in terms of <laughs> DEI and B. Yeah. You added you added belonging in there as well. Yeah. So now hold all that in your mind, and now come back to me, come back with me to our startup friends. You know as I was talking about how big that industry is. And so according to Crunchbase, uh, of that 164 billion that we talked about invested in startups in 2020, only single digit percentages went to black, Latinx, and uh, women, LGBTQ plus founders. Wow. Of the VCs making the investments in those entrepreneurs, only 4% of VCs are black, 5% are Latinx, and according to All Rays, only 13% of decision makers at US venture firms are women. Mm -hmm. So how are we doing? So how? So how, So how? based on what the, the definition that you just gave, how do you, Terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. The representation's not there. And then, you know, this begs me to ask so many questions that I've, that's, and that's part of the reason why I really started to think about like, why is there not an avenue or resource to help understand like the complexities around specific industries? So like, let's focus on that for a second. I won't have all the answers. You definitely have more than I have, but I don't think you have all of them. And so that's why I think, right? <laughs> no, I, that's, that's where you're wrong. I, I do. I have all of them. But I think that's why it's so, so important to invite guests that have experienced this world, right? It's their lived, it's their lived or professional experiences that are going to tell us these stories around 
look, what are they experiencing? I have so many questions around like, why are there only 4% of black or brown, um, you know, venture capitalists? Like, why is it such a, a majority white, I, I think white male, and that's an assumption I could be making, industry. And so, you know, typically when you think about resources and networking, you usually tap on your network and your network tends to look like you. It tends to look and represent people like you. So yeah, I'm not yep. surprised at that, that if the people who have the funding are likely going to invest in their people within their network that probably look like them. And so I'm not surprised, but I think, but it's interesting that those were the types of questions that I was coming up with. Yeah. So, so let's talk about how we're going to answer those questions, right? Let's talk a little bit about season one, focus on startups and venture capital. So we're going to highlight those the perspectives of those founders, those investors, and we're going to do it in order. Uh, we're going to try to, to walk people through the way a startup grows, right? And yeah. so we'll follow startups through various stages of, of maturity. Uh, and then we'll look at different people and culture issues with a DEI lens along the way. Right. Yep. And so, so tell us about, so now tell us, tell us how it's going to go. Yeah. So we have, um, we have a few episodes here, uh, right now we're at eight and throughout the, the podcast, we may expand because I feel like there's other conversations we'd like to have, but our first we keep episode, coming up with new ideas, we keep right? coming up with new ideas, which leads me to the first episode. So, uh, the first episode is going to be focused on idea formation. So we will have a guest who, um, will talk us through kind of their, service or product or I like the gap that they saw in their marketplace and why that was like something that they really wanted to, um, to close the gap on. Uh, the second episode will focus on the founding team. So what was that, you know, kind of like relationship with, maybe it was a solo venture, maybe it was just a, a, um, a founder, but also maybe it was um, a, a team. So maybe there was a co-founding team. So what was that dynamic? What were kind of the complexities around the founding team? The third episode would be focused on product development. So as they were trying to think through like the uh, implementation of, of closing that gap, what were some of the things that they had to do in terms of reaching out to maybe third-party vendors or, you know, continue forming a team and, and who do they need, who they needed to seek help from and resources from. And then um, episode four will focus on raising money. So just that, you know, who they turned to um, if they, if they didn't have the funds themselves and how they went about that and what that all looks like. And I'm super excited once we get there, right? That's probably, I'll, I'll tell you, that's one of my uh, things I'm most excited to talk about. Yeah. As you talk to uh, minoritized or diverse founders, they'll all jump in and, and want to tell you about their experience about raising money and what a, what a pain in the ass it was, whether it was uh, a woman talking to a room full of white men or the primarily white venture class uh, or exec or investor class not being able to relate to a particular product and service. So I'm super excited about episode four. Yeah. Then we're going to turn around. We're going to talk to the actual investors, right? Yes. We're going to get some actual, get some of our friends in the venture capital community to come and talk about the challenges in, from that perspective of investing uh, in, in diverse founders and, and, and challenges in the VC industry itself. From there, we'll move on and start to talk about, okay, you've got, you've, you've got some money and now, uh, you have to build a company, right? So we'll talk about culture building in a very fast growing organization. Uh, and then we'll talk about things like hiring, right? So how are you going to scale up and start to start to hire people? What are the challenges there before talking to some folks that have actually scaled the company? And we'll talk about 
uh, you know, wh- what are the challenges when you actually do hit it big, when you do start to scale and, and you're not so small anymore, mm-hmm. right? And, you, and you're not necessarily the small company and you can't necessarily control the environment anymore. What are the things you need to have in place? So, so, uh, what, so I, that's, that's the eight episodes we have there. There could be a few surprises along the way. What are, what are you most excited about? I, I-, I already claimed one. Yeah, I'm really excited just to hear um, the conversations from I mean, obviously everyone, but I'm you know me, I'm I'm so around the people practices. So I'm really excited to talk about like how founders like form their teams and like what were the dynamics within that that they started to observe and like the culture shift and when do they start to notice that. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I, I also just like want to point out, I, I know we touched upon this earlier, is that like, yeah, this this season is 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 focused on startups um and you know, founders and investors and 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 thought leaders, but it's not the our listeners can um don't have to be from that demographic. And I think that's what's gonna be really cool is that I think there are gonna be lessons and um learned from their experiences that can actually really support in um, whatever industry or work that uh, someone else might be doing in a, in a, in a different organization or different industry. Yeah. I mean, mean, very specifically, you can think about the corporate world always looks to the startup world to understand, you know, how they can be more innovative or how they can uh, be more dynamic. right? Right. So some of the things that we cover in this, in this podcast or in this first season will be very applicable to large organizations as well. And uh, we'll just have to see how that plays out. Sure thing. A few things, uh, administrative things about our podcast. We're going to drop an episode every two weeks. So that's exciting. The, administrative, yeah, huh? Be yeah. on the lookout for that, folks. And um, you know, definitely, we always look for feedback. Uh, both Rob and I uh, really value positive, positive feedback. Positive right? feedback is good, but constructive is always really good. Okay, we Fine. are both very reflective people, and so um, a, mo- the podcast in itself is going to really advocate for the experiences, but also the reflections um, after these experiences. That's where, like, a, you know, that's where my learning background kicks in, um, which I am passionate about. Um, so feedback is a gift. If you do have any feedback, please direct that to www.refillion.com. Um, and as always, once you listen, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. We'd like you for you to rate it. And um, that's five stars. And then uh, definitely give us a review on um, your podcast platform. And all right. That's it. That's all I got for you today. Awesome. Well, it's going to be awesome. I appreciate you inviting me along again, Nadia, and uh, let's have a good time. I'm excited for this, Rob. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye.